Last time on Dorming the Gates, I shared a story that exemplified how I came to understand forgiveness. Now, that was a difficult story to tell in many ways. But the story I am going to share with you today is a far more difficult story for me to share. In fact, I hate that this is even part of my story. Yet, it is an important precautionary tale. And better yet, it's a tale of redemption. It's going to exemplify the next phrase of the Lord's Prayer that we are covering. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Welcome to Storming the Gates, a podcast that celebrates the power of prayer. You will be inspired, equipped, and find strength for every battle you face. Hello, and welcome back to Storming the Gates, a podcast that celebrates the power of prayer. I want you to know that as a new believer, I asked God to give me two ministries. I said, Lord, teach me to pray. Do that first, and then afterwards, writing. Well, I told him prayer first, because I knew if I could live a life of devoted prayer, then I would know God well, and I could endure any difficulty. And honestly, that has been true. But almost 20 years ago, I gave into a temptation that wrapped ugly tentacles around me and cast me into a sea of darkness for far too long. Thankfully, I was delivered from evil, but it came at a price, a high price. So I am going to, with some trepidation, share that soon. But before I do, I want to look at what Jesus wanted us to pray concerning temptation. Jesus taught his disciples, and therefore you and I, to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's from Matthew 6, 13. And it's a bit of an odd prayer, don't you think? I mean, would God ever lead us into temptation? Why would we pray that? James 1.13 says, no one can say he is tempted by God. And then James goes on to point out it's our own lusts that actually lead us astray. In fact, I like what the study notes in my key word study Bible say about these verses. It says, why did the Lord teach his disciples to pray, lead us not into temptation? Does this effect mean God tempts people? When God allows one of his children to be tempted, it is for the purpose of proving to his child that he or she can rely on God's wisdom and strength. It is God's desire to give believers victory over the temptation and at the same time make them more experienced in the tactics of spiritual warfare against the devil. It is crucial to remember, however, that the actual enticement to sin is never generated by God. And I also have come to believe that lead us not into temptation is actually a prayer for protection rather than a prayer about being led to temptations. It's coming from the heart and saying, I'm in a world surrounded by evil. I live in a body of flesh that continually wants its own way. It's admitting that if God does not guide our every step, we will surely succumb to lust of the eyes, the, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Well, similarly, this prayer is also a plea to endure those times of difficulty. Look at James 1.12. 
Blessed is the man who endures temptation. Temptations will come. Even Jesus was tempted in the wilderness where he went without food or drink for 40 days. And yet he endured steadfast until the end. But what if we do not endure? I mean, yikes. That is a terrifying thought. And that is also why Jesus added, but deliver us from evil. And there can be times that evil wants to grab us and pull us into its dark cauldron. And in those seasons, we will need rescued from something we may find ourselves powerless against. Sin of any kind is like a drooling spider that takes no mercy when its prey lands in its carefully prepared web. It darts out and grabs us and winds us up so tight, we will be facing certain demise unless a miraculous deliverance takes place. I mean, you have maybe found yourself wound up in sins of addiction of all kinds, and you see how quickly sin can just take over. And thus, Jesus, knowing our frame, instructed us to be preemptive in our prayer, to pray to avoid the evils of this world, to be in the world but unsullied by its filth, and, if we get dirt on ourselves, to wash it off through repentance as quickly as possible. John 1.8 says this, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Dirt gets on us all. Leading up to Jesus' death on the cross, he took time to wash the disciples' feet. Why? Because although they were saved, the dust and grime of this world still had a way of attaching itself to them. And he told Peter, those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And the key word here is need. We need to keep our feet washed. And that is why John also went on to say, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. One other verse I want to bring up here is 1 Peter 5, 8, where it says that the devil is sneaking around like a lion hunting its prey, and the prey is God's people, and the enemy wants to devour us. Sorry, This is a verse that we rarely take seriously. We're thinking, oh, the Lord will protect me. Well, yes, and one way he protects us is to warn us that we must be diligent to pray, even to fast to seek God in order to avoid temptations. We need to be aware that we're thinking we can sin just a little bit and get away with it. That's like eating a piece of cake on a diet, something I know very well, because one bite never seems to be enough. Well, let me get to my story, because ever since I prayed to receive the Lord, I have loved Jesus. From early on as a Christian, my life has revolved around ministry, around teaching the Bible, around praying and planting a small church in a far northern city. In fact, I felt pretty strong in the Lord. I read my Bible every single day. I took time to pray, and I saw many miracles of healing, provision, direction, and I didn't realize I'd become a bit too sure of my own strength until temptation slithered through the door. And I didn't even recognize it as a temptation. All right, you see, this much younger, needy young man 
had found the Lord and had nowhere to stay, so we invited him into our home. And to be honest, I found him to be an irritant at first. He was loud, he was boisterous, was demanding. And again, I never expected myself to do much more than endure his presence until he moved on. Well, he did begin to grow in the Lord, and he began learning worship music, and he became a super important helper for me. He came along at a time when I was overwhelmed with responsibilities. You know, the truth is I had allowed myself to be given and to take on far more than I should have, and I was very grateful for his assistance. And he used to watch me as I read and prayed in the morning, and he was fascinated with my commitment and my relationship with the Lord. And before that, no one seemed to care much about my time with God. And so I unwisely allowed him into that time. That was time previously set apart for the Lord alone. Let me rewind a little bit here. Years before a family moved north to start a church, God had given me a warning. Just the same way Jesus warned his disciples to pray, lead us not into temptation. I was praying about our move, and it's like I saw our family walking through a doorway in heavenly places. And as I saw that, it seemed that God was saying to me, you are entering a new place. You've prayed for it, and it's going to happen. Now, you must be diligent to pray every single day. If you do not, Satan will grab you and toss you around like a rag doll. Well, praying was my jam. Even back then, of course I would. And of course I did. Until over a decade after serving the Lord in the place he called us, the heartbreak and weariness of starting a church in a faraway place began to set in. And I was getting bitten by some confused sheep. And I was on call 24-7. And I wanted to be, but it wore me down, and I became depressed, and I was sad. And despite all that God had done to sustain us, and I mean, I have a lot of stories, and how God had been with the small church we pastored, I began to feel alone. And so, I am terribly sad to report, this young man's attention and admiration began to be more important to me than my time with Jesus. And it wasn't long afterwards that temptation came flying out of hiding and wrapped me in a sticky cocoon, and it sucked the very spiritual lifeblood that had sustained me after walking so closely with the Lord for over 20 years. Well, you can guess what happened. And pretty soon I lost everything. I had to leave my house, and I loved my house. God had given it to us miraculously. The church I'd poured my very soul into, my ministry, my marriage, my friends, I lost it all. Instead of the love and admiration I once knew, I was now hated. I mean, I was hated and despised. I was even told by one of my closest friends that I was the biggest hypocrite she ever knew. This was a dark season. Uh, You know, if I saw the people from my old church, like sometimes maybe I would pick up one of the kids or something, and I'd see people going into my church carrying Bibles, I would long desperately to join them. But I could not. And after praying years for a coffee shop, they opened one. 
and that as long as I continued in sin, I was not allowed to enter that place. Inside, my heart was shredded into a million pieces. Oh, I wanted out of that sticky cocoon. But the Bible is true. I was the proof it was true. Just like James says in chapter 1, sin had given way to death. In fact, let's read that in James 1, 13 through 15. It says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So God does not tempt us. It's our own sinful desires that will take us down. And in fact, he warns us. I can still remember feeling as though God was screaming in my face to run, but I didn't. So I was left without an excuse. I had no excuse for my sin. Thankfully, Jesus also taught us to pray, but deliver us from evil. And there can be deliverance. The drug addicts, the porn addicts, the gamblers, and so many others can be released from their captivity by asking God to deliver us from evil. And in those days, my mind was so befuddled and messed up, I couldn't find my way back. But I still read the Bible. Although, I'm telling you, the words when I read them felt like glass just cutting into my soul. And I walked for long miles and long hours at night. I tried to talk to God, but the words just seemed empty. I was shattered glass, shattered into a million pieces like Humpty Dumpty, and just as impossible to put back together again. And I was living as a friend of and among other sinners. I was told at that time by many many well-meaning Christians that I was doomed to go to hell. And I believed it because I hadn't been able to break free of this adulterous relationship. So I just walked. And in my solitude, I tried to talk to the God I was pretty sure had utterly rejected me as he should. You know, in the Bible, Jesus brought all of his disciples, minus Judas, to the Garden of Gethsemane the night he was betrayed. Judas was no longer a follower. He had chosen the world and its goods over the Savior. And another eight sat, probably sleeping, afar off. They were followers, but they were too far to see the agony Jesus was about to experience. But three of those disciples, Peter, James, and John, were asked by the Lord to stay close and pray with him. Why? Jesus told them that you may not enter into temptation. They were called closer and they could see his agony. And yet, instead of partnering with their master in his greatest hour of need, they slept. And because of that, when the time of temptation came, they fled. Peter even denied him three times. And I wonder how many times through the next decades did they look back at that moment in the garden and realize the cost of sleeping. Jesus had told them explicitly why it was important to seek the Father, and that was to avoid temptation. And yet, in the moment, 
the flesh craved sleep. And that is also why Jesus placed this incredibly important phrase in the prayer he once taught his disciples and therefore teaches us today, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You may think, well, I'm close to the Lord. I'm too close. I would never fall. But it's the closest ones that often become the target of evil. I thought I had put every safeguard from sin up, and yet I fell. And after a far too long season of living in sin, there was one Friday night. I was walking alone down the main street of the small town where I now lived. I didn't even live in the same town. And I was sad, of course. I was missing the Friday nights with my family. That's why I remember it was a Friday night because I had always loved Friday nights with the family. But I was missing my family, my kids. I missed my church friends. We were so close. We were tighter than a brother. And I missed all the fun we once had together. And I missed long conversations about the Bible. And as I was walking, I just felt like my life was as dark and empty as the abandoned mining pits in our county. And the loneliness was palatable and heavy. I really had no hope of ever serving God or even enjoying life ever again. And I was feeling old. And I was like, I'm 45. And I'm too old to start over again. Even if I somehow got out of this web, my life is over. And as I thought that, God spoke to me. I was crossing a dark and empty street, and I heard him as clearly as if he walked beside me. And he told me this. He said, you have lived half of your life. You still have half of your life left to live. And then he added, it will be a full life. Full. I could not imagine. How could I, chief among sinners, ever have a full life again? And yet that was the pinprick of life, uh, of life and light I could move towards. And that word, that simple word that night, began the excruciatingly slow walk back to wholeness. I mean, deliverance was painfully slow, but it began that night. You know what? It takes time to reconnect shattered glass shards. I always thought, too, that the glue, that it would be like jagged and all over the place, but the Lord glued me back together one piece at a time and then did something miraculous to cause even the cracks to go away. It was like a giant cruise ship turning slowly, slowly, slowly back around. I turned back to the Lord again. You know, the church, my house, my husband, those things could never be recovered. They were gone. There was no getting them back. But one by one, my kids forgave me, and they became an important part of my life again. God actually brought me to a new city a new home, a wonderful church, a church that helped free me from the shame that I was now carrying around like a dead corpse. I met and I married an awesome man. And I've been involved in many ministries. In fact, sometimes I battle with how full my life is now. I mean, I have many new good friends, a good church, 12 grandkids, I mean, only Jesus can deliver us so completely from the evil that would destroy us 
It is his heart to save, deliver, and heal. He does not punish forever. And that's why perhaps you can understand why I've dedicated myself to seek the Lord in prayer. Like a story I heard long ago about a sheep that was draped around the shepherd's neck after he wandered too far and had a broken leg. I know why I have to stay closer than ever. And you know what? It's not because I'm tempted, because I am so not tempted at all. Not in the same way. There's no way, because why touch that lit glass stove ever again? But it's because staying closer has made me love my rescuer all the more. Jesus came and suffered an unfair and inhumane death to set us free from our very tragic choices. And he longs to restore his children. He does not want to chide and humiliate us. He wants us to fulfill our destiny. He does not want us to be deprived of it, no matter what's happened. I mean, listen to Isaiah 57, verses 15 through 16. And I'm going to use the New Living Translation version of this passage because I really like it. It says, the high and lofty one who lives in eternity, the holy one, says this, I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. For I will not fight against you forever. I will not always be angry. If I were, all people would pass away, all the souls that I have made. Jesus died so we could live. No matter how awful we can be, he has his arms stretched out to forgive and heal. He does not want you or anyone else to wallow in the shame of the past, but by faith to embrace the life he suffered and died for. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, is an acknowledgement of our need for God. It is a prayer of humility. When we pray these words, we are declaring our desperate need for God's salvation and for his spirit to sustain us. The pride of life that waits to ensnare us will be stopped by our mighty God when we, on our knees in humility, cry out to him. And if we fall, we must find our way back to that place of humility and cry out to him the same words. When we sin, we will, of a certainty, hurt ourselves and others. But Jesus can lead us back to wholeness when we return to his side. And maybe today you know someone who's fallen from their place, even as I once did, and you might have given up any hope on them. You might think they're doomed to hell. And you could also be someone who's wound up in a tight web of sin at this point. But let's pray with Jesus. Deliver us from evil. And he can. Because the next thing Jesus states is, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. He has the authority to set us free when we call on his name. But we're going to save that phrase for next month, which is also the final episode in the series on the Lord's Prayer. In the meantime, I'm going to encourage you to use the show notes below to sign up for the newsletter, because in this month's newsletter, there is a Bible study that's going to outline more keys to avoid temptation. This is an important subject, and it's one we need to be aware of and not brush off, as well as, by the way, the keys to find deliverance when a sin has gripped our lives and other people. So let me pray for you today. Lord, 
I pray for those who listen to this podcast, Lord. And I pray that despite how terrible my story is, instead of seeing how terrible I am, they will see what a great God you are, that you could take the chief among sinners and restore and heal a shattered life. Lord, no matter what anyone has done, you are able to heal. You are able to deliver. You are able to set free. Forgive us for not forgiving those who have wounded us with their sin. Lord, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that you love us and you want us whole. Thank you for Jesus. Amen. Thank you once again for listening to Storming the Gates. Be sure to visit our website at stormingthegates.net. While there, sign up for the newsletter and you'll receive free prayer cards and a Bible study for each episode. Check the show notes for links to items mentioned in today's show. We'll see you here again for the next episode of Storming the Gates, a podcast that celebrates the power of prayer.